We've been going through a uh, series on living victoriously in difficult times, and obviously we do live in difficult times. And uh, but it's nothing new, so far as that goes, in, in throughout history. And let me just say the title of the message today is "Father Knows Best." How many of you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Let's think about that, but because we sometimes we can figure it out, and sometimes we cannot. In 1982, if you remember during the right in the heart of the <coughs> housing crisis we had here in Tulsa, if you remember, interest rate was at 18%. And uh, Gene and I are looking to buy a house, and when you're on two teacher salaries in a private school, you have a lot of money with which to look for. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> so we had a certain budget, and we weren't going to go out of it. And we are asking the Lord to show, and we went to uh, how many realtors? Every realtor we had quit. They'd show us a few houses, and it's like, your parameters are too hard. You know, because they always take us to some house that, hey, this is 20000 over our budget. We, you know, we can't do this. And uh, so finally the Lord, uh, you know, we put a contract on a house, and we are all excited, and the contract fell through. Somebody else came in and uh, got it. So I was devastated. Just kind of quit looking. And started looking again, and he was in a different location. It was uh, turned out to be just the perfect house for us. It was something we could afford. Uh, and as we went to sell it later, it was in a better location, had a better resale, it was better school. <coughs> but in the middle of all of it, you could feel like, you know, what's, you know, God, what are you doing? Uh, but 20 years later, it's a thousand square foot house with a one bathroom, one car garage with the laundry in the garage and all my equipment in the garage. So whenever Jean had to do it, she'd have to stumble over my mowers to try to get from washer to dryer. It was kind of time to look for another house. Same thing happened all over again. Everywhere you go, uh, couldn't find it. And finally the Lord opened up where we're at today, and it was the, it was the best thing. So t- sometimes, you know, you look at it and things make sense. 37 years ago or so, Jean was expecting, after we didn't think we'd have children, having a lot of difficulty, we were going to make a trip to Birmingham. And Mrs. Ketchum, who we were going down to see along with her brothers, uh, was very concerned because she only had one child, had miscarried with one child she had, and she was concerned about us coming. So we prayed, Lord, just really show us. You know, we're going to take the trip, but if we shouldn't go, you show us. The day we go to leave, it's on a Sunday, I believe, I go out and there's a flat tire. Okay, so I go to get the spare, and it was a used car that we had had for some time. The spare only fit one axle. It didn't fit the other axle. Guess where I had the flat tire? On the axle, that the spare wouldn't fit. You think the Lord was telling me not to make the trip? Okay. Not what we wanted, but I think that's why Will's here today. I wonder what would happen had we gone. So I think sometimes he says no, or whatever. Uh, sometimes, like those, it makes sense. There's other things that don't make sense. We've been looking for a building for a long time here. We've had some that whenever they uh, we've talked to them, they said, well, if we ever sell, we'll let you know. Next thing we know, the building sold. It wouldn't have been perfect for us. Why didn't we tell them? They said they'd tell them. He had another one that just, 
They decided just to give the building away. Why weren't we told? We had one that I went and talked to the pastor a couple years ago, and they were struggling. They had a beautiful building. In fact, it was appraised for $1 million, the property. I said, well, we'd love to just join forces with you and go with it. Found out two weeks ago, they gave it to somebody else. Just pick up the payments. They owed 90000 on a million-dollar piece of property. Why weren't we told? I even gone and talked to them. I don't know. But that's why I said, Father knows best. Sometimes things make sense. And sometimes they don't. So see, what can we do in the middle of all of this? Look over, we'll look at several passages. Look over in Hebrews chapter 12. We saw it last week, and this will just be one. <clears throat> and so I, what I'm saying is, we, we all go through this throughout our life. Uh, it goes through. While you're turning there, I'll never forget uh, twice applying for a job in Carolina. And I've told you several times about it. Both times they said no. And my brother has the job today. And I'm thankful he has the job and I don't. Because, yeah, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. But no, I, when I see now what's involved in the job, it, I would not have been a good fit for it. But needless to say, it really hurts at the time. But I look back and I'm, that's a, a, an answer of a prayer of a no. But notice in Hebrews 12, we saw this last week. But notice in verse 2, the first of all, when it says fathers know it's best, notice going through the trials of one, but notice in verse 2, and in the end of verse 1, it says, The race that's set before you, we all have a different race. And I think it's important we all realize we're all in a race where we get the races, the word agony, A-G-O-N-A is the Greek word. It is a long-distance race, but we're all in a different one. And so it's difficult to, uh, we can't run each other's race, we each have our own. But notice what does it tell you to do? Our focus in verse 2 should be on Christ. Notice the focus should be on Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why should we fix it on Jesus? Notice it said the author, which is a word for pioneer. You want to know how to do it? He's the author and perfecter of our faith. You want to know how to do it? Focus on Christ. He sets you the perfect example. He came to this world for what reason? What? To die, and he had a perfect a purpose. And notice he set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew exactly why he was here. He knew exactly what the Lord wanted for him, and he did it. And I think it's important for us to recognize what he has. So he was a pioneer. He's the perfecter. And also notice the product at the end of verse 2. The joy set before him endured the cross. Boy, that would have... I mean, how many of you go, would go to the cross joyfully? He did what he was supposed to do, despising the shame. Obviously, as a criminal, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What does he get? What's the product? He did what God told him to do, the Father. He was our Savior, and he will be the leader and the ruler of the world. And his job is complete. You and I have a job, too, but are we fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's so easy to get our eyes on other things. Peter walked on water until he took his eyes off of Jesus. Peter was doing just fine until he looked on John. In John 21. It's really easy to get our eyes off of others, or onto others, off of Christ. But 
The first one is focusing our eyes on Christ. And the same thing is turn back to your left just a little bit. Look over in uh, this focusing on Christ. Look over in Philippians chapter 3. Notice in verse 7, Paul is speaking and he says, Whatever things were gained to me, these I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. How many of us feel that way? You've gained all these things. And you look up above, and uh, obviously Paul was a Pharisee. He was educated by Camellio. Uh, obviously, he had the greatest education that they could have at that time. And he says, those things are rubbish that mean nothing. I've got Christ. My focus is on Christ. And he goes on, and you look at it. What all he goes through in verse into verse one, uh, eight, he said, "I've gained." In verse nine, "I found," and then in verse ten, "I may know Him." Uh-oh. His focus is on Christ. He wants to know as much about Christ and focuses on Him. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be dislike Him. That's my focus. It's not all the other things. Is not important. So I think it's important for all of us. When you think about it, the first thing is Father knows best. Our focus needs to be on, on, on Christ. And it's easy. We usually get it on our circumstances or we get it on um, other people because other people are doing well or whatever it might be. Uh, but instead, we need to focus on it. So obviously the question would be, what are you focusing on in your trial? The second one, it's first stated, and then I'm going to support it, you remember Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's about to leave and you all can quote it with me it's the stated part John 14 and verse 1 it says let not your heart be believe in believe also in me he then talks about he's going to leave and he's preparing a place for him so we're told to fret not when it says uh, let not your heart be troubled it means to take away and be calm how many of us are calm during these things? And the reason for it, it says to believe in God and believe in Christ. The Father knows best. Do we really believe He knows best? I think it's interesting. Look over in Psalms and it'll be the same thing. So we're supposed to focus on Christ and then fret not. Look over in Psalms 37. Psalms 37, we'll look at several of them, but notice, what does he tell you to do in verse 1? Do not, what does he tell you in halfway through verse 7? Don't fret. What does he tell you halfway through 8? Don't fret. How many of us were told, don't get agitated, believe in Christ, he knows what's going on, he's the... He's the Father, and we need to trust Him. We're told not to fret. And I think it's really difficult. You look at why you're told not to fret. You look in verse 1. Don't fret because evildoers. Don't be envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like grass and fade like the green herb. We've got a perfect example, haven't they, just in Oklahoma this year, hasn't it? I mean, early 
early spring or early <coughs> summer, we had a lot of rain. What it looked like? What does it look like now? Okay. How many times do we look at what's going on right now? And we see other people are doing so well. Notice we're told not to fret. Notice what he, he says. Don't fret. What does he tell you to do in three? Trust in the Lord and cultivate faithfulness. What does he tell you in five? Commit what? Your ways to Him. Trust also in Him and He'll do it. Seven, we're told to do what? Rest in the Lord. How many of us are doing all those? We don't fret. We turn it over to Him. We rest. We do our part of righteousness and so on. Notice in eight, cease from anger. And forsake wrath. Don't forget it leads to evil doing. And notice then the end of verse nine. For those who wait in the Lord, they will inherit. So all the others may be doing well, but just like grass, what's going to happen? It's going to wither up and they're going to lose it. But those who serve the Lord, focus on Him and don't fret in the end. They're the ones that get it. Whether it's in this life or if it's in the next life, they will get it. So I think it's interesting uh, what's taking away our calmness. What are we fretting about? And you look at the economy or anything else, and it can easily do that. You know, people ask me quite a bit lately, when are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? Aren't you at full retirement age? Well, yes. According to what they tell me I'm supposed to have, I'll be working until I'm 100. Uh, I'll never have the amount saved that they tell me I'm supposed to have. I never will. But again, who's in charge? So you have to follow what he says. So the first one is you focus on Christ. The second one is we are told not to fret. And it's so easy to do. So easy to do. Look over in Isaiah 26. The third one would be a firmness of mind. Isaiah 26. Notice verse 3. And four. First of all, we're told what to do, and then we're told why to do it. The steadfast of mind thou will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in thee. Trust the Lord forever, for in the Lord, in the God the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. How many of us have a firm, you know, we have a firmness of mind, we trust him. Or how many of us only trusting when our five senses tell us it's, we can do it. That's usually what we do. We trust Him as long as what He's doing makes sense. And when it doesn't make sense, we don't want to trust Him. But that's when you need to trust Him even more. You have to trust Him when it doesn't make sense. And so that's why I said the firmness of mind, we have peace when we truly can understand. We'll trust Him in the middle of it. A lot of times we see it in the end, and it makes sense. But how many of us are trusting in going through it? That's why Psalms 23 is important. It talks about the Lord your shepherd. If that's the case, who has to, who's supposed to take you to the green pastures? Who's supposed to bring you to the water? Who's supposed to bring you safely through all the opposition? 
we so often we take the job of the shepherd and we try to make it ours. It's interesting, the firmness of mind. Isn't that we saw two weeks ago in James 1? If you lack wisdom, let anyone ask God. We have to ask Him how. Believing in what happens when He gives an answer of either wait or no or whatever, and how many of us are doubting that God knows what He's doing. And that's the tendency because we have our five senses. We don't understand it. So notice, our, one is our focus is on Christ. Two, we're told to, to fret not. Very uh, hard to do. But notice the third one, like I said, was firmness of, nine, uh, of our mind. Uh, when you're in the uh, turnover then to Proverbs 18, let's think of another one. Proverbs 18. Notice in verse 10. And think about the time at which this was written. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man does what? Runs into it. Runs into it. Okay, if you're living in an agricultural society like they did, most of them were in the cult, were in the country, and when an opposing army is coming, what could they do? They had no way of defending themselves, so they would run to the city, which had walls, but it also had a towers, towers around the corner, and that's where they would have their offense. Would have the, but notice then, how many of us recognize Christ as our fortress? How many of us recognize Christ as the fortress? Now, I think it's important to recognize, do we really think Christ is our fortress? To give you an idea, you notice know, that's what we're told to. They're told to run to it. But let me show you why you should run to it. This is what most of us do. The fortress is the Lord, is what we're told to. Run to Him. But notice in Psalms 20 and verse 7 and see what we do. Psalms 20 and verse 7, I'll read it to you if you don't want to turn to it. But Psalms 20 and verse 7. Again, think about the time in which they lived. Psalms 20 and verse 7. Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Israel was told to do what with the horses? Hamstring. To cut the hamstrings. Why? They could be used then for plowing, but they couldn't be used for fighting. Because God didn't want them to trust on what? And what do most of us do? We trust with all the things that we have, or whether it's our savings, or our job, or our health, or whatever. And he says, don't. So we think about it, our fortress needs to be the Lord, not anything else. Because we've all seen what can happen to your 401k in a very short period of time. We also can see what can happen to your health in a very short period of time. You have people who have all kinds of money, but money cannot buy you health. So you stop and think about it. Who is our fortress? Is God really our fortress with whatever time we have on the earth we really turn and run to Him and rely on Him rather than our own ability? You think about it. A perfect example of this. Think about Rahab. You think about it. She's in the walled city, correct? And she's told to do what? Anyone who's with you and stays in here We'll spare. What happens to all the rest of the wall? 
Now, what would you do if everything's falling down literally all around you? Are you going to stay in that place and everybody else is being wiped out? Are you going to stay and walk a faith and believe they're going to be honor their commitment to you? Or are you going to try to take matters into your own hands? Reminds me so often I see all the rabbits at work to do this. I mean, they're perfectly safe, and the next thing you know, they run out of a hiding place you didn't even know they were there, and what do they do? They run right out of the open for all the predators to come after. Just amazing. So think about it. The fortress is the Lord. Do we run to Him, or do we try to run to some fortress we built? Look over, and since you're in Psalms, turn over to 46 for a moment. So our focus is on Christ. We are told not to fret. Told to have firmness of mind. We keep our mind focused on that. That our fortress is the Lord. And what about Psalms 46 in verse 10? Cease striving and know that I am the Lord. How of you have trouble with that? Or is it just me? I mean, so often you see striving. You think you, you can't figure it out. You try to figure it out. You come up with all these solutions and all these different things and they just don't work the way you want them to. And you want to, you're, you're constantly agitated. And the Lord's telling you what? See striving. Hey, I, I've got it. Just trust me. In the middle of it all. It's interesting on the see striving... I think what's important for us to remember is, uh, like for instance in Isaiah 46 and verse 10, my purpose will be established, I'll accomplish my good pleasure. Are you going to be able to uh, keep the Lord from doing what He wants to do? What He says He's going to do, His declared will, you and I are not going to change. So why don't we work with His will and not against? Now you have His declared will, you have His designed will, which is for each one of us what He has, and then His desired will, what He wants us to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, that's up to us to do it, that's what He wants. But I want you to know this, the, I think it's interesting, is not don't fight against His will. Have any of you ever fought against His will? How well did it work, Brian? He always wins. <laughs> He wins, but it's interesting too. With the children of Israel, they did it ten times. And he finally said, no, it's enough. You can stay in the wilderness. It's important for us to recognize don't fight against His will. And it's so easy to do that uh, because we want whose will? We want ours. So I think it's interesting when you look at it, how do I respond to His calling on my life? How do I respond with the present situation I'm in? Or how do I respond with the gifts He's given me? A good example is this, really, when you stop and think about it. What about with Moses? Did Moses know God's plan for him? But early in his life, he tried to do it in his way and in his power. How well did it work? After God had taught him humility and everything else, he was the great leader, the greatest leader. Interesting, God called him the most humble man on the earth. He wasn't that way 40 years earlier. So it's interesting. We can even know what God wants for us, but do we know His timing? 
Moses was great. It was interesting. He didn't start leading until he was 80. It's an amazing statement. Two-thirds of his life was over. Training to get where he wanted. But the one I want us to look at even more is the Father Knows Best. Look over, if you would, first of all, in Psalms 138. Notice the Father's design. It's first stated in verse 8, and then it's going to be supported in 139. Psalms 138, verse 8. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. How many of you believe that? The Father knows best. He has a design, and He stated what He's going to do. In Romans 8, He said, Anyone that is called is going to conform, He's going to conform you to the image of His Son. We can work with that, or we can work against that, but ultimately, we're going to be conformed to the image of His Son. Maybe eternity, or will be before it's completed, but He's working towards that. It's interesting, Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Don't forsake the works of Thy hands. You're going to accomplish it, and I don't want you to forsake me. So in other words, when I mess up, I need to confess it and make, hey, don't, don't, you know, don't quit on me. Keep working with me. But notice that's stated. Notice the support. Notice in the next chapter. The Father's design. He knows best. O Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. Thou dost know when I sit up and when I rise. Thou dost understand my thoughts from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path, my lying down. Are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before. Does he know you? It's fair to say he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we're going to say before we ever say it. He has designed us. And you keep looking in this chapter, and it's amazing when you look at it. Uh, in the verse 6, obviously, uh, David has uh, said this knowledge is too wonderful for me. But notice what he goes on. You can't go anywhere, verse 7 and 8, that the Holy Spirit is not there. You can't get away from His presence or from His power. But notice when you look down a little bit further, verse 13. Thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I'll give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Does God know and He puts you together in your mother's womb? He could use the DNA of your parents, which He obviously did, but He's the one that did it. In your ability. So how many times... In your life, and you wish I was taller. I wish I was skinnier. I wish I was smarter. I wish, wish, wish. When we do that, what are we really saying to God? I don't like what you did. And so I think it's important and not to look at other people. I wish I was like so-and-so. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine at work. His son just... He's taken the ACT a couple times, got a 35, and he's trying to get a 36. That way he can go anywhere in the United States free. How many of you wished you could have gotten a 35? You know? 
I never had a mind like that. And I never will. But I think we said that we need to look at God knows best. He knows exactly how He put us together. He knows what we need to be doing and He knows everything about us. So the best thing for us to do is what? Lord, You know me better. How many of you are doing things today that you never would have thought you would have done earlier in your life? How many of you are enjoying things you're doing now that you never thought you would have ever enjoyed? And if God was trying to do that to you earlier, you probably told Him no. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you... you know. You, so I think it's important that we really believe God knows best. He can say no to something and take us somewhere else and it's much better for us and if we'll look at it, we'll recognize it. Bill, like I said, is in Carolina. That's not what he wanted to do. But he loves it. And he's doing a good job. He was trying to become... Going into counseling, was trying to get his master's degree from Grace. And he was got close, but they turned him down. Well, he looks at it now, and it was the best thing for him. It's the best thing for God to tell him no, because there's something else that he's better for, and he's done a lot better job with. And so I think it's true for all of us. But you notice, what about 16? And eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in the book they are written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Did he have plans for you before you were ever born? He has plans for you. So the question is, if God knows best, and he's designed me, I need to be asking him what? How and what do you want me to do? And you say no to this, then you, what do you want me to do, and where do you want me to go? And I know it's not easy for any of that, but it's what we're told to do. So how many of us get in like David does in verse 23? We really believe God knows best. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That word for search is the word where you test metals. How do you test metals? Heat. Heat. Trial. Hey, Lord, search me. Throw me in the fire. Get all the impurities to come to the surface and get rid of. That's what I want. How many of us want that? Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything hurtful way in me. Lead me in the everlasting. How many of us say, Lord, hey, you know me better than anybody. You put me together. You know everything. I want what you want and take out what you don't that, that is bad. And I'm ready to be tested and tried. That's what we want for your different trials. So how many times do we really want it? Now, if you want that, Father knows best. He has a design, but He also has a desire. In Hebrews 11, what are we told in Hebrews chapter 11? We have the faith chapter, and I think it's interesting in the faith chapter when you look at it. you notice you'll have all of them going through and whether he starts with Abel and he starts with the different ones and Enoch was taken up and it's interesting the reason Enoch was taken up let's look in verse 5 just for a second and we'll go to 6 by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was found because God took him up for he attained the witness that before his being taken up he was what? pleasing pleasing to the Lord 
since he brought up pleasing, he now wants to tell you how was Enoch pleasing to the Lord. Notice in verse 6, without faith it is impossible to what? To please Him. If that's the case, every one of us is going to be put in a place where we have to trust. Every one of us. Different places, different trials, but time of trust. And if we want to please Him, we have to walk by faith. If that's the case, it will not always make sense. In fact, often it will not make sense. And so I want us to think about that. Here you have it's the different ones that I gave you. I gave you seven of them. Our focus needs to be on what? Christ. And we need to worry about it all the time. <coughs> okay, we're told not to fret not. Our firmness of mind. I'm 100% convinced this is where I need to be. This is what God has. And I'm staying true to the course. No matter what happens. That's why I often have made the statements given to me 40-some years, almost 50 years ago, don't doubt in the dark what you believe in the light. And what happens, God will show us, then all of a sudden, a lot of darkness will come to, quit, to, to challenge us do we really believe what we think He's leading us to do. What about the fortress? Is the fortress the Lord? Do we run to Him and we stay in there and allow Him then to come to our aid, or do we do like others, we run? any and everywhere. <clears throat> Notice also how many of us are told that don't fight against the Lord. I think we often fight against Him. I don't want it. And I told the Lord there's two things I'll never do. I'll never preach and I'll never teach. I hate getting in front of people. And I was asked a couple of different times, several times to do different things. I know no way I've been there. Uh, it doesn't mean he's going to take you to something you don't like, but at the same time, uh, as Jane will tell you, I love to study the Word of God. I absolutely love it. And I love to explain it to people, and I love it when the light bulb comes on in their head. In high school, I would have told you there's absolutely no way I'll ever do it. When I went to college, I had to, had to have, uh, in the eight semesters, seven of them, you had to have a service. You had to be serving in a church or whatever. I was so scared of being in front of people that I got special permission that I wouldn't have to do it, that I could go serve people by mowing their yards and do different services with my hands helping people. So the Lord can do a lot of things in your life. If, but like I said, if He had told me, you're going down to Southeastern, and when you finish, I'm going to have you teach one day and then preach, I wouldn't have gone. Because I would have said, there's no way He doesn't know what He's doing. So I think it's important for us to recognize He will give you the ability when you need the ability or to help you. And there isn't a time will go by that I'm not you know, wondering when's the Lord going to... You know, when I came, I said I'd come for one week. I keep waiting for the Lord to bring us somebody to, to take us to the next step. But I think too, is think about don't fight against it, but then does, Father, does the Father really know best? Can we trust Him? Absolutely. He knows best, so then let Him have the responsibilities He has. It isn't for your kids or grandkids, should they be worrying about where their shelter is, where their food is? No. Whose responsibility is that? Why do we take it out of our Father's hands when we don't want others to take it from our hands? So think about it. Father knows best, right? <clears throat>